Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. What is good to have you here on uh, this beautiful Fourth of July weekend. I'm glad you came to worship this morning. I had very low expectations. So you've exceeded those. That's good. And just to point out something, over the last six months that I've been here, almost seven months now, this side's quite a bit fuller. I don't know what that means, that I finally took enough showers before I came here, but just pointing that out. I like that. Well, the one part I've learned after some four decades of ministry is that it's regularly not very neat and clean. And uh, I've found great hope and comfort in reading Scripture and learning some things about it and learning kind of the backstory. And, and for me, when I read and listen to what Karen was reading just a, a, a second ago uh, from the book of Isaiah, we have, this, we have this beautiful picture being painted by the, by the prophet it's almost at the very end of the book of Isaiah. And it's, and it's when the, the people have been released from exile. They've been there for over 40 years, not living in their country, uh, forced into a foreign land, uh, and now they've been able to return. And here is this beautiful image of a mother caring for a child, of nursing the baby, of playing with the baby on her lap, and using that image to talk about the city of Jerusalem, of the city of Jerusalem being this welcoming, inviting, caring, loving mother that's welcoming them home. But the reality was there's just a remnant of the people who had been led into exile. They would have been the youngest among them. At least two generations have been born in exile in Babylon and so no, only the very youngest who are now amongst the oldest would have been a part of the community that left Jerusalem. And somehow in their thinking, while they've been in exile, there has come up this notion that somehow God, during this time period, has, has intervened either in a holy way or in a, in a magical way, but that they somehow got it in their head that Jerusalem was going to be restored to its full glory and beauty. And I think about those people climbing the hill, some needing aid as they're making the journey back, and they, I suspect, got to the Mount of Olives because it's only about a half mile away, and you can see into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives as they would have come from that direction. And what do they discover as they look into this what they had hoped for and dreamed for, beautifully restored city, is that nothing had been changed. Not one rock had been put on top of another. Nothing had been restored whatsoever. It looked just as bad, just as destroyed as when they had left all those decades before. God had not intervened in a spiritual way, in a holy way, or in a magical way. And part of the reason was, was all the people that knew how to fix the city, who knew how to restore the stonework, who knew how to make the sewers work and make the water run, all of them had gone into exile, along with all the other people that had knowledge. All of the people that knew how to run a country to make it work had gone into exile, had been put in Babylon. 
nothing had been done. There was no motherly welcome. There was just the same mess, the same mess that they had left all those decades before. And so the prophet is using an image of what will need to happen, but only after a lot of hard work. After people have put hand to stone, hand to wood, to restore the city, to make it beautiful again. It will not happen overnight. It will be messy. When I read the gospel lesson, you have to remember Pastor Lars's sermon last week. Because Pastor Lars talked about Jesus speaking to the disciples that those who are not willing to drop everything are not worthy to be in the kingdom. If you're going to come and follow Jesus and you say to Jesus, I'm sorry, my dad died. Can I bury my father? You are not worthy to be in the kingdom. If you go out to plow for the kingdom and you look back, you're not one of us, Jesus says. Except there's no new group that Jesus is talking to. This is the group from which he talks and sends out the 70. The people who are having difficulty following Jesus, the ones who don't have it perfectly right according to him, are the ones that he sends out two by two to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand. And what does he tell them to do? Very strict instructions, right? Don't take any extra things, don't take any sandals, don't take any cloaks, don't take your visa card. When you get to the town that you're being sent to, just stand around and somebody will invite you into their home. Don't look for the rich person. Just take the first offer. That's how it worked in the first century, by the way. And then what do you do? Cure the sick, preach, do some teaching, cast out demons. But do so knowing that you want them to hear this message that the kingdom of God has come near. He's sending the broken people. He's not sending the A team. These aren't even the C team people. He's sending those that he's got there in front of him, sending them out to do a very specific ministry. And that's the important part you need to hear on this Sunday morning. He's not sending out pastors. They are sent out for a very specific duty, and then they're supposed to come back. Hence the idea of not taking all your stuff with you. It's not the demoniac in the land of the Gerasians who becomes really the first pastor. He is left there in the community with a specific mi mission to tell everyone what God has done. But this group of 70 are sent out for a specific peace. Now, you know there's a story coming, of course. In all my years, this is still the best one. It starts on a Monday, it's my day off, it's the fall, and I'm pouting. You should know that right away. Because on my day off in the fall, I always went hunting by myself. Had my favorite spot, four mile walk, absolutely gorgeous. Had my favorite dog, best day off ever. Well, today I'm gonna be doing a funeral. Somebody I don't know, I've never met, no real attachment to our congregation. It's like a third cousin on his mother's side, you know, that got the funeral to us. 
The women are fussing because they don't want to work on a Monday to prepare hospitality, and nonetheless, they've shown up. So you pretty much have a group of grumpy people. And normally on a sermon or a funeral like that, I would have gotten there about eight, but on this particular morning, I got there earlier. And it's this beautiful fall day, just crisp, clean air, perfect for hunting. Not so much for a funeral. But as I drive by the front of the church and look across the street, here is a group of people of men and women all wearing leathers and colors from a biker gang. A real biker gang, not a kind of pretend biker gang. These are the real deal. There are members of that biker gang that are doing time in our penitentiary. I know because I've met them. And as I drive by, I'm thinking, there's parts of this sermon, our funeral that I don't know what's going on. And I get to my parking spot and I go down and have a chat with the women. And they're equally divided between calling the police and the National Guard. Because there's about 50 people that are looking pretty rough. They're all cleaned up, but they look a little rough. But the woman who's in charge of the kitchen says, I think they need some coffee. Coffee it is. So we grab some thermoses and styrofoams and we walk across the street and she and I begin to serve coffee. And we find out that the person that's died was a member of the biker gang and that they've come waiting for the worship service to be over so that they might accompany the body out to the cemetery. That's all they were there for. And she looks at me and I look at her and she goes, we're not having that. Off she goes back into the kitchen so I learned some more things about the person who died, and I invite them to come in and use the bathrooms. And I go back across the street because I've run out of coffee, and I meet the woman in charge. And she said, we've got husbands bringing eggs and bacon, and we're making breakfast. Go back and invite them in. I said, I'm pretty sure they won't go. They won't come if I show up. I'll go with you. So the two of us go back across the street, and she was a fierce hospitality person. And she didn't quite control them, but she did, into walking across that great divide and down into the basement of the church, there to use bathrooms to warm up. And I will tell you that it was the strangest-looking group that I've ever seen in a church. All the women were wearing bikinis with leather tops and chaps, but everybody had colors on from the gang that they were a part of. Pretty soon breakfast is offered up, and then comes the debate with the women in the kitchen. Are they coming to worship? And again, I went with the hospitality person. She said, you are coming to church, aren't you? Nope. Yes, you are. Your friend is going to be buried today and you need to be in worship. So she was a lot fiercer than I was, and she was fiercer than that biker gang. But when they came upstairs and went to go in, they saw us taking the colors off the casket of their biker gang and putting a baptismal pall on top of the casket. And they wanted to know what that was. And I said, well, that person was a biker gang outside, but in here... They're a child of God. And I said, if you would like to come in, you have to leave your colors hung up there at the 
hang up. Long, long look. And he said, we never take our collars off. I said, well, in there, you're a child of God. Here, you can be whatever you want, but there, you're a child of God. And the colors came off, and they came in and sat down. And then every now and then, we get it right in the church. We normally didn't do Holy Communion in a worship service like this. But I can hear the altar guild working behind me as I'm preaching. And I hear the elements being brought out and placed on the altar. And when it comes time for the Lord's Prayer, I look at all those biker gang guys and gals. Everyone knew the Lord's Prayer. Every one of them. So I looked at the chapter president and I said, you're all invited. And they all came to receive Holy Communion. Now the best part of this story is that when I die and they're hauling my body off, I want the 64 Harleys that were there that day to accompany the hearse because it was the greatest sound ever as we went up the hill. But if there was ever a day in my ministry where I knew that we got it right, even in all the messiness, I have no idea what happened to those folks. Every one of them left town after the service was over. But I know for sure that the kingdom of God was close at hand. As the people of God, we sometimes want to land on one side or another that it's either discipleship, where we just are students, but we don't actually get anything done. And then there are those of us that only want to do things without any study, any chance to be refilled, and we get burned out. We need both. We need discipleship and apostleship. We need to understand that we have to grow in our faith, but that we are also the sent people. And it's regularly just as dirty and messy as one could imagine. And it's not long-term, it's right now. How will we be the people of God today? So on this week, as we celebrate the fourth, as we remember those who sacrificed everything to make this country, what will we do with our freedom? What will we do with the gift of Jesus Christ? How will we live that out this week? How will we share the good news? Most importantly, how will we let people know that the kingdom of God is close at hand. Amen.